I was thinking about it this week. We, as Christians, are supposed to be Bible people, right? This is not news for us. And we read the Bible at home. We read the Bible every Sunday in church. And what it just struck me to say, and you guys know this, but I'm just kind of declaring this this morning. We don't read the Bible to be more religious. Do you know that? It's not why we read the Bible. That's not why you're supposed to read it at home, do it like in our reading plans, read it in church on Sunday. That's not why. We don't read the Bible just to fill our heads with more knowledge either, right? Knowledge is great, but that's not the end goal is just to have information stuffed in here. We don't read the Bible because, oh, I don't know, I guess that's just what you're supposed to do, so I'll do it and I'll check off the box and there I did it and now I'm good. We read the Bible and we want to immerse ourselves in the scriptures because I'll remind you, this is the living word of God. The living word of God. Like as in when we invest in this word, it produces something in us. It changes something in us. We actually come to know God relationally, experientially better through his word. We start to grow and change and we're not the same person anymore from before we started picking this book up. It's a living, dynamic, nothing like it in the world kind of word. That's a good place to amen, yes. And with that, it is my distinct privilege and pleasure to invite you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 13, verse 31. I, I honestly love doing this with you guys, and it's a joy, and it's a perfect way to start the week. In John 13, 31, don't say I never did anything for you. It's a very simple message today. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's very simple. We're only going to read eight verses of Scripture. Sometimes it's like 60, today it's 8. That doesn't mean the sermon's going to be any shorter. We just got less to read. And it also doesn't mean that what we're reading is always easy to put into practice, but it's very, very, very simple. So with that, let's read from John 13, 31 to the end of the chapter, verse 38. It says, when he had gone out, the he there, it's talking about Judas. If you remember last week, the disciples were with Jesus having the meal. Judas is going to betray him. Jesus says, what you came to do, do quickly. Judas leaves. So when he had gone out, Jesus said to the rest of his disciples, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, that was a few chapters ago, so now also I will say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Pause right there for one second. Before we get into verse 34, I want to draw your attention to something, a literary feature that is in this section of Scripture. It's called an inclusio. Somebody say inclusio. That's not a Harry Potter spell. It's a literary device. Thank you. What an inclusio is, it's, it's in the Bible in some places. It's in other works as well. It's when you're reading about one particular subject matter, and then all of a sudden it switches to a different subject matter, and then it goes back to the first subject matter. It's kind of like a sandwich, right? You got a piece of bread, 
and then you've got something else in the middle, and then another piece of bread just to bookend it. That's what an inclusio is. So you'll see in verse 34, Jesus changes the subject. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And now here comes the other piece of bread, right? It goes back to subject A. Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You see the inclusio there? It's like a sandwich. Anybody hungry now that I'm talking about sandwich? The answer is yes. So, with that, there's a particular bit of that, that bit in the middle. That's the meat. That's the bulk of what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into that, let's set the scene a little bit, shall we? All of the, that's the right answer. Thank you. All of this language from verse 31 to 33, the first piece of bread, and then from 36 to 38, the other piece of bread, all of this language is seeking to set up something. It's seeking to point us to something here. So you look at verse 31 where it says, the Son of Man is glorified. The Son of Man is a title Jesus used for himself. And it says that God is glorified in him. Verse 32, God will glorify him in himself. That language of glorify, hold on to that for just a minute. We'll use that in a minute. Verse 33, Jesus comes along and says, where I'm going, you cannot come. What that is, that is a prophecy and a prediction of his death. Jesus spoke this actually the night before he went to the cross. He knows it's coming. And that's what I would draw your attention to. Jesus knows what's going to happen next to him. Okay? Hold on to that. Remember that. Then Peter speaks up in verse 36. And Jesus is all over Peter. He totally gets Peter here. He says in verse 36, you can't follow me now, but you're going to follow me later. What he's saying there, he's actually predicting and prophesying about Peter's death, which is interesting because history outside the Bible tells us that Peter died. It was many years after this. He actually died in the same manner that Jesus died. Jesus was crucified on a cross, and history outside the Bible tells us that the same thing happened to Peter. The only difference was he said, I'm not worthy to even die in the same way as my Lord Jesus, so they crucified him upside down. And Jesus is predicting this here many years before. Hold on to that. Jesus even knows Peter's heart. Peter says, he makes this, I'm gonna, I, I will even give my life for you. And Jesus says, really? I actually see what's in your heart. Really? calls him on that. And he even knows what Peter's going to do. He says, before this night is over, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And of course, that's what happens as this whole story plays out. So there's a connection in all of that stuff that we just talked about. The connection is this, this language of glory and this oneness with God, the language of Jesus knowing the future, right? This foreknowledge and he searches the heart and he knows what's going to happen. This is all language that sets this up so that it points to the fact that Jesus is God. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is God. 
And we've talked about this a number of times in this Gospel of John, but here it is yet again. He wants us to know who Jesus is, who is speaking here. Because see, only God deserves the glory, like we read about there, right? Only God knows the future in detail like this. Only God searches the heart like this. What he's doing is he's setting all of this up so we say, hey, God is about to speak. He's going to give us this commandment. And we need to remember who's giving the commandment. See, because I could give you a commandment, and you would say, I don't know, I don't really take Braden that seriously. I could probably beat him in a fight, so maybe I won't, or I don't know whether I'll listen to him or not. But, but God is saying, I'm speaking. God is speaking, so we need to listen. We need to pay attention. We need to pony up on this. That's literally what's happening here. God is gonna give us a word, from his mouth that we would do well to follow. Now, in talking about a commandment, by the way, obviously you're very smart people. You know what a commandment is. It's God telling us something that he wants us to do, something that he wants to see present in our lives. That's part of his will. Somebody say his will. God's will is simply that, just, just what he wants us to be doing and what he, what he has planned for us and what he wants to see in us, right? And he's going to give us this command. And a lot of times we see in our lives, we come into periods where we say, I don't know what God's will for me is in this season. Anyone been ever feeling that way before? I just don't know what God's will is for me right now. Only like two of you. Okay, well, I'm with somebody. Somebody's with me. I've had that. There we go. Right? Because that's the way life is. Sometimes life is uncertain and you're trying to pray through, God, what, what's going on here? What do you want me to do? I, I'm sensing a need for change in my life, but I want to do what you want me to do. Right? That, that's part of the human experience. That's part of our walk with Christ. And here's what I'll say. God has a specific will for each one of us, for sure. There are specific things God is going to call you, ask you, lead you, prompt you to do that he's not necessarily going to ask the person who's sitting next to you to do, right? Maybe it's a career change. Maybe he wants you to move across town. Maybe he wants you to give money to somebody. Whatever it is, whatever it is, use your imagination. He might not ask somebody else to do that, but he'll ask you to do that. Those are specific things in God's will. But I would submit this to you. As equally true as it is that God has specific things in his will for us, there are also things in God's will that are universal and constant. Therefore, everybody, all Christians, in all places, at all times, no matter the circumstance. And that is what this commandment that we're going to talk about today is. It's not just something you do occasionally or, oh, I'm not sure if God is leading me to this. If you're a Christian, he's leading you to this. Capiche? And the cool thing about these constant universal things in God's will, if you do find yourself in a position where you're trying to discover and discern and pray into his specific will for you, you don't have to just sit there and park yourself on the side and not do anything because there's still lots of things you know God wants you to do because they're constant. Make sense? I don't know if he's talking to me today. He's giving me the fuzz here or what. I don't know. So with all that said, God is speaking. Here comes the command. Are we ready for the command? Okay, here it is. I'm going to read verse 34 and 35 again. A new commandment I give to you, that you what? Say it. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, how many people? All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
That is gold. That scripture is amazing, and we're going to unpack it. But the first thing I want to just highlight in this, okay, we're talking about love. We need to answer the question, what is love? Pretty sure there's a song about that, right? We won't sing it. Somebody, I got a brother shaking his head at me in the front seat. Baby, don't hurt me. That'll be our closing hymn later today. It will not. It either will or it won't be, and I'm saying there's a chance it won't be, a strong chance. Love, okay, because listen, a lot of people think they know what love is, and they think, oh, it's a feeling, or it's an emotion. Guess what? It's not. It's not. Feelings and emotions may accompany love, but they do not define love. They are not the hallmark and the definition of love. I'll tell you what love is. It's a choice and it's an action. It's a choice to desire and to do good for somebody else. It's a choice to lift up and honor somebody else. So for instance, we're called in the scriptures to love God, right? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, that's, that's not primarily a feeling, right? Our faith and our walk with Jesus is not, thank goodness, it's not built on feelings. Because if it is, you know how feelings are, they're fickle, they're like this. The emotions, our emotions change like the weather in the Maritimes, okay? So that's nothing to build a case on. That's nothing to build your faith on. Because then when the emotion's there, wow, God, wow, I'm doing awesome with you. And then if you're not feeling it an hour from now, oh, God, never mind him. I've forgotten all about him. That's, that's no good. That's not what we need. So what we need is to choose the Lord, to choose to value and to honor and to lift up the Lord and to magnify and to worship the Lord. That's what we need. It's a choice. And when we're talking about other people, again, we, we are choosing to not just build on this flimsy, well, I like you, and you did something nice for me, I'm choosing to show something to you. And that brings me to the second thing. Love is, love is an action. It's a verb. It's something that you do and you show and you demonstrate. It's not just goodwill either. That's a trap I think that's really easy to fall into. Well, I happen to not hate you, right? And I happen to have nothing against you and I'm not against you, so that must mean I love you. No, that's just goodwill. And I hope good things happen to I mean, that's fine. But, but listen to me, love is not neutral. It's not just that I don't hate you. It's, it's going on the offense and doing something. You make sense? Yeah. James 2 even talks about this. If all we have is goodwill for each other, oh, I love you, go and be well, but it doesn't lead to anything. If there's no action there, it's dead. It's, it's not really useful for anything. So this love that Jesus is talking about, it's, it's more than just some neutral, flimsy, feelings-based thing. It's a choice and it's an action. And you can see it on the screen. To sum all that up, God tells us to love. God is the author of love. God is love, the Bible says. So I want to know what love is based on what he says. And if I could sum it up, real love shows up, it builds up, and it looks up. Let me explain. Real love shows up. In other words, it's present in your life. It's not just a theory or a metaphor. It's present in your life. 
If, if I was to love you, show love to you, it's like if you're in a pinch, you're in a crisis, I'm showing up to help you. Real love does that. It doesn't just wish you well. It shows up. Real love builds up as well. See, it, it, real love speaks blessing. Real love pronounces encouragement. Real love paves the way for human flourishing. It doesn't tear people down. It builds up. And real love looks up. In other words, it corresponds to the will and the character and the nature and the word of God. And I'll give you an example. Let's say you were a parent of a teenager. Some of you are parents of teenagers. That's cool. A long time ago. I won't date anybody on that. That's okay. Let's say you had a teenager and they came to you and said, Mom or Dad, um, I want you to go to the liquor store for me and buy a whole bunch of booze because there's this party happening Saturday night and all my friends are going and it's going to be super fun and I want to just express what it means to be young and alive and free but I'm not old enough to go to the liquor store and buy stuff so why don't you go for me because I want to have some fun like that and get totally smashed on Saturday night. If you as a parent said, oh, okay, I don't want to be the uncool dad. So sure, I'll go do that because I want you to live your truth and I don't want you to be you know, standing out amongst your friends in a bad way. So, so I'll go do that for you. Well, that's not love, right? Because you're leading someone to do something illegal and it's harmful and it's not healthy or part of God's plan. So, so it's got to line up with the Lord. Real love shows up. Say this with me, actually. Real love shows up. It builds up. And it looks up. Yes. So with that, let's talk about this text. Let's talk about this commandment. i got three things for you that we can just pull right out of that command that Jesus has given us to love one another. The first thing is this. What he's talking about is love between believers. Notice he says there, love one another. Now, of course, this is not saying don't love people that aren't believers. Of course, yes, love. God loves all people. God so loved the world. We're supposed to do the same thing too, of course. But what he's saying here is let it start right here. Let it start. Matter of fact, here's, you're going to participate in this. Don't worry, it's okay. All I want you to do, I want you to pick up your head and I want you to look around the room and I want you to, as you're doing that, like look people in the eye. Like go ahead and do it. I'm not seeing enough heads turning. Let's go, do it. Literally, <laughs> literally, Okay. These are your brothers and sisters in the faith. Obviously, there are many others that aren't here today, but you get my point. Like, this is what he's talking about. Let it happen in here. If we can't get this right in here, we're not going to get it right out there anyway. So let it start here. He's talking about love between believers. Okay? Got it? Number two is this. Jesus' love for us is the standard here. And thank goodness there's a standard. See, it's just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. If there was no standard, this would all be totally subjective. This could mean whatever I want it to mean. Sure, I loved you. I didn't punch you in the face that hard. Like, you know what I mean? And, and 
Well, it's true. Because if there's no standard and it's subjective, I could think that I'm loving you and being super loving, but in your perception, I'm actually being unloving and, and, and hateful. And that's frustrating. And, and that actually makes this command impossible to fulfill. But luckily, Jesus said, it's just as I have loved you. So the question is, then how has Jesus loved us? My answer is, how much time do you have? Hope you brought a lunch. Jesus has loved us. There's a word for it. You know this word. It's the Greek word agape. Somebody say agape. That word agape, that was very good. The word agape is a word for love that describes what's called the highest form of love. It's a sacrificial, selfless, others-serving kind of love. And it's not based on performance. It's not based on, hey, what have you done for me lately that I can reciprocate with my love? That's what agape love is. And that is the love with which Jesus has loved us. So for instance, he came to us. Even that alone is huge. You have to understand, he's the eternal, everlasting God of all glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, sits on a throne in glory, lacks, wants, needs nothing, and yet he humbles himself to enter into our mess, into our history, into this dumpster fire called the earth and all the bad things going on in it. Jesus didn't need to come, he chose to come right? And so he humbles himself. He's born into humility, into this poor family, laying in a manger, the whole Christmas story, right? Jesus lives his life, perfect, sinless life, not only to give us an example, but then so that he could go die in our place for our sins on the cross. You want to talk about undeserved? This guy here doesn't deserve it. And all the lovely folk that I'm looking at right now also don't deserve it. I love you. That's not an insult. But Jesus died because he loves us, right? It even says in, I think it's John 15, greater love has no one than this, than for to lay down their life for their friends. That's what Jesus has done for you. That's not even to mention all the stuff that he did during his life, like how he was patient with people, how he healed people. He did all this awesome teaching to help us. And I want to say this now too. Jesus didn't just love you 2,000 years ago when this was being written. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is alive right now. He's ruling and reigning and he's continuing to love you right now. So if you're a Christian, part of your walk is that Jesus is walking with you. And it's not because you deserve it. It's because he's awesome and he's good. He's walking with you. He's speaking to you. He's leading you. He's guiding you. He's continually cleansing you from your sin. He, he's guiding and strengthening and sustaining and leading and all of that. Jesus loved you back then at the cross and he's still loving you now. That's how Jesus has loved you, friends. That is a good place for an amen. Thank you. And what he's saying is we're to love each other the same way. That's the standard. Now, of course, he's not talking about going to the cross to die for each other's sins, obviously, but it's that word agape yet again, selfless, sacrificial. Oh, Lord, help. Others serving, others focused, and it's not performance-based, right? It's, it's, again, it's not, what have you done for me, and I'll do something nice for you. That's how he's calling us to love. There's a great section of scripture. If you want to like, if 
you want to measure how well you're doing with this in your life, you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is on the screen. Love, it says, is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. The Lord has smacked me upside the head on that one numerous times. Or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Yes, even when someone else hurts you, by the way. Love bears that. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. It also never ends. You want to ever know how you're doing with this loving other people thing? Here's a test for you. You can read this, and also you can go visit Costco on a busy Saturday afternoon and see how many of these are missing from you. I did that yesterday. It was a fatal mistake. This one didn't go so well for me about 24 hours ago. But you get it, right? There it is. It's, it's plain. It's black and white. Turn to your neighbor again and say, it's so simple. Tell them. It's so simple. It's so simple. But the question is, and don't answer this out loud, the question is this. Is that how I treat other people? Is it not 20 years ago? Is this how I treat other people now? Particularly within the household of faith, like we're talking about. And again, I've already said this. I'm going back. It's not, well, I like everyone I go to church with. I don't have anything. No, it's not neutral. These are things that you do. See the activity in here. Is that my heart? Is that the way I treat other people, particularly other believers? And if my heart, when I read that, I'm not doing these things, I'm not seeing these things, this isn't resonating with me, and I go, eh, You know what that means? I love you. It means there's something wrong. And it means I've got an attitude or a behavior in here that's got to change. It means that I've got to repent and I've got to shed something and I've got to get back onto the heart of the Lord Jesus who has loved us perfectly with agape love. It always comes back to Jesus. You see that? It always comes right straight back to Jesus. And I'll say this to you. It's not always easy, but it's simple. Let's not complicate this. If you look at this and go, oh, I don't know where I fit into that. This is not a word of condemnation. It's a word of invitation. All you gotta do is make a decision right now to say, Lord, that ain't me, or 50% of that is me, or whatever. And Lord, I need help. I'm sorry, please change me. Repent of your sin, draw near to God. He'll help you with this. That's what the Holy Spirit's for, okay? We good on this one? The third thing we just pull right out of our text. I think this one's super cool. This is just totally God. The internal affects the external. The internal affects the external. See here, it says, by this, by this love that we show to each other in the church, all people will know that you're my disciples. Notice what he doesn't say. The whole world is going to know you're my disciples by your outreach strategy, by your programs at the church, by your website, by your social media feed. Everyone's going to know you're my disciples. No, it's by the love that we show to each other inside. And you say, well, this isn't even an external activity. Would an unbeliever even notice 
what was going on in the church. Like, if you have trouble rationalizing that in your head, how they'd even know, here's what I would say to you. That's how God works. Even though this is completely, it says nothing about the external here at all, except that the external is going to be affected by what we do internally. It doesn't, by the way, explicitly say, by this, the world is going to be one. All it says is, people are going to know that you're my disciples. Don't, still don't miss that, though. By what we do in here, Jesus is going to be reflected. Jesus is going to come out in the equation somewhere by the love that we show to each other. And obviously that's going to pave the way for gospel sharing and good conversations and all that. Here's the sobering part, though. The opposite is equally true. If we don't do this, if we slack on this or just assume or just do the goodwill neutral thing, people will not notice. People will not know that we belong to Jesus. The world will not be influenced. They won't take notice. It's very simple. We can choose to love or not love each other. And I've harped on long enough about what it actually means to love, what the definition is. We can choose to do it or not do it. No one's forcing you. And that will result in either a positive or a negative witness coming about, totally corresponding to what we do. And the positive or negative witness is either going to soften or harden people's hearts to Jesus. Super simple, not complicated. And I said it earlier, but I'll say it again. If we can't get this right in here, don't think it's going to get right out there either. If people look at us and all they see is a hateful group of people or just this neutral group of people, I'm just telling you, they're going to say, why would I want that? But conversely, if they look at us and we're loving each other as Jesus has loved us, they're going to say, what is going on? I need that in my life. You see this. Simple, simple. Those are a few quick things we just pull right out of the text. As I was preparing for this week, the Lord kind of was nailing me with some other things that he wanted me to share with you. Some bonus points. Dun, 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 dun. Bonus points. I got, I got four bonus points for you. These are not explicitly right in the text, but they're right there. And I believe the Lord wants to just kind of speak this over our church today, these four bonus points. The first thing is this, this love amongst believers that he's talking about, you have to fight for it. Somebody say fight. Fight, fight. You gotta fight for this. Here, here's why, here's why. We have an enemy. We talked about him last week, Satan. He hates the church. He is bent on discrediting, destroying the church. He doesn't want any of this to happen. Okay? He doesn't want you loving other believers. Are you kidding me? That's like among the last things that he wants. So he's going to do everything he can do to get us off track on this or get our priorities shifted and get us doing anything but this. We have an enemy. The, the other thing to consider is this. We also have a sin nature that we're combating. The Bible calls that the flesh, right? The Bible says that when we walk according to the flesh, all sorts of bad things happen. And yes, you're a Christian. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit. But that flesh, that old self, still tries to kind of crop up once in a while. And when that happens, the flesh is totally focused on itself. 
When you walk in the flesh, I'm just telling you, you don't really give a rip about anybody else. It's about me. I should be served. I should be convenienced. I should be honored. People should pay attention to me. People should serve me. That's what the flesh says. If you find yourself saying that over and over again, that is not the Holy Spirit talking in you, just so you know. That's the flesh. So we've got to fight for this. You've got to dig and scratch and claw away at this. And again, don't just assume that this is happening in your life or in anybody else's. Do it. Get with the Lord. Part of your prayer life and mine ought to be, Lord, as I go today, give me your heart for people. Give me your eyes to see people. Give me your compassion that I can show to people. Make me aware of needs. How can I love and serve the people around me, particularly my brothers and sisters in the family of God? That ought to be part of our prayer lives. Because I'll say this, we can fail at this love thing. We can fail at it without even having bad intentions. You, you hear the horror stories of other church. I don't see this in our church at all, by the way, but churches where there's drama, there's infighting, people are just out to discredit one another and bring each other down and, and there's malintent there. Okay, yeah, for sure, that's a failure to love. But you can also do this without any bad intentions. You can say things like, I don't know, I'm really busy and this doesn't happen. Or, I don't know, someone else will do that. Someone else will call that person. Someone else will shovel that driveway, whatever it is. Not necessarily any bad intent there, but then it goes undone. Again, this is more than goodwill. This is doing something. It's showing up. So you gotta fight for it. The second thing is this. This is happening in our church. I'll just tell you that. What we're talking about today, this is not a message of, we're doing terrible. We need to totally 180 this thing because this isn't going on at all. I have seen this. We've seen this in our church, but let's keep our foot on the gas. That's a good place for an amen. Thank you. I have seen, let me just tell you my recent personal testimony. I won't speak for you. I'll speak for myself. In the last month, in the last 30 days, I thought of a handful of different things that people have done for me. I'll brag on you guys. I'll brag on Lori for a second. I take any opportunity I can to do it. She often steps out and shows love to me, for instance, in like looking after Eleanor because I'm like busy running around doing all these things. She has put in a lot of days where it's Brayden's gone for 10 hours and she's there with a six-month-old. Pray for her. That's a lot of, that's, right? That's a lot. So Lori, thank you, singling you out. Now, I won't say anyone else's name, but I actually want to tell you a few quick stories of what's happened to me in the last month. About a month ago, I was having some computer trouble. I'm slightly competent with computers. I'm competent enough, just enough to get myself into trouble and then I don't know how to fix it. So that's not good. I'm having computer trouble and someone found out about that and they said to me, hey, if you need any help at all, call me, tell me, I'll do whatever I can. And I also know someone else who is an expert on your operating system and I'll give you their number and I'm sure they would come and help you too. I didn't even ask for that. And they just stepped in. Remember, real love shows up and it builds up, right? That happened. Another thing that happened to me, two days before Christmas, December 23rd, power goes out. Like nine o'clock at night, there it goes. And it was out all night. And it was out the whole next day. 
and I don't really care a lot. I actually laughed. I wasn't home. I wasn't going to freeze or anything. But what we were starting to kind of worry about was the stuff in our deep freeze. Because you know how it is. If it's gone a couple days without power, like it might ruin it. It's full of stuff. And we eat gluten-free, so it's like a million dollars for a loaf of bread and all that. So starting to kind of get concerned about deep freeze. Somebody comes up to me at the Christmas Eve service, Christmas Eve, day before Christmas. And they said to me, hey, if your power's not back on tomorrow, call me. Christmas Day. And I know for a fact this person was having people in and having a family time. They said, call me, and I'm going to show up at your house with a generator, and we're going to plug that sucker in, and you're not going to lose your freezer. Christmas Day. It was, I about melted, actually. Another, another one, one last one. A couple of weeks ago, I'm here in church, and someone comes up to me, and they said, Braden, you and Lori have a young child at home. And I said, we do? I said, yeah, we do. They said, that's busy and it's hard. It's hard to find the time to just focus on yourselves and spend time together. So here's two tickets for the Sea Dogs. And you can use these whenever you want. They're like them flex ticket things. Go use these whenever you want. Go on a date. Take time for yourselves. Here you go, free of charge. Oh, it's getting dusty in here. Okay. You get my point. That's just me. And I've seen you guys do this too. Because we watch, right? Like in your church, like you guys have leaders and elders and shepherds and people who are watching. I stand here sometimes and I see you guys doing this. I see people get up from this side over here and go over there and lay their hands on someone and pray for them. They just do it. They don't ask. They don't also do it. They just do it. And I've heard the stories of people showing up and helping. And I needed this and this person was there. And I needed a ride and this person drove me. You, I've heard all kinds of this stuff. Not even to mention the stuff that nobody has seen, by the way. This is happening in our church. And I honestly thank and praise the Lord that this is happening. Because that is a mark and a function of the Holy Spirit being at work. Somebody give him thanks for that, please. Thank you, Lord. Yes? Yes. So, keep up the good work is what I'm saying. At the same time, let's keep our foot on the gas right? Let's not just assume. Let's not just whatever. And again, if you're feeling convicted of, oh, I, I don't really know what I've done in my life to love somebody else, again, it's an invitation. Just start. Just start doing it. Start doing something, anything, and it's good. That's the will of God in this. I, I would just submit to you this. In our church, I'm talking about our church only right now, I have just this feeling in my gut, this sense in my spirit that God has more has new, like a new wine, the new wine skin kind of thing for us in terms of our relationships and our love for each other. Some of you guys have known each other for years and years and years and years, 30 years, 50 years. Some of you guys have known each other. And sometimes it's easy in cases like that to go, I don't know. They know I love them. They know I'm here for them. They know whatever they can call me. And you just assume, right? So, so what does it, and internal, and don't answer out loud, but, but for consideration, what does it mean for you in 2023 to love the people in your church family that you've known for a bazillion years? I believe God's got something for us in there. New ground to take in that because part of being a church family means pressing in in every season to, to continue down this road with the people that we're walking with. We don't give up on each other or anything. Now, another thing, 
in, the, in our church right now, as I look around and kind of consider the times, we're in this really unique time right now where there's lots of people that are new or just getting connected or reconnecting. We're in this kind of post-COVID. Oh, I said a swear word, sorry. We're in this post-COVID uh, whatever you'd call it, new thing, and people are moving from province to province, and I'm new in town, and I haven't been to church for whatever, and, and there's a lot of new opportunity for people. Like even in this room, a lot of you guys weren't here three or four years ago, and that's cool. By the way, welcome once again. Love you. Glad you're here. Glad you're part of things. There are new opportunities to get connected to other people is what I'm saying. So what does it mean for you in 2023 to love the people in, the, in your church family that maybe you don't know? Maybe they're not even new. Maybe you just never knew them. I've seen you over there for 10 years. I never said hello. What does it mean for you in this season to love such a person? Because part of being a church family is not just staying in your little nest of comfort, right? Here's my three or four people. It's enjoying one another. That's what family is. That's what family does, right? Also, let's make it real right here. What about people you don't like? I'm just saying, when you get a bunch of sinners in a room together, like stuff, sparks are bound to fly at some point, right? What about people that annoy you? In our church, in our church, somebody's laughing at me. They know it's true. They're annoyed with me right now, probably. What about people that bug you? You don't like them. Maybe you don't see eye to eye with them on certain things. What if somebody has wronged you, legitimately wronged you in the church? Again, I had a pastor friend, I, I've said this to you before, he always used to say, this was a perfect church till you showed up, right? And that ministered to me. Because, yes, even though we're the family of God and we're born again and we have the Holy, all that stuff, we still are gonna inevitably do, say things that, that bug somebody, that bother somebody, that wrong somebody. So what does it mean for you in 2023 to come alongside and love the people in your church family that you don't like or that they bug you or they've wronged you. Because I want to just say this. There's an entire culture that exists in churches, capital C Church. It's, hey, you bugged me, you offended me, and I'm out. I'm leaving. I'm gone. You'll be lucky if you get any explanation from me, but I'm going to do a blast on social media to say how terrible you are. Let that not happen in our family. Not happening. Love each other. Love bears all things. We don't give up on each other, friends. Come on now. Amen. Yes, thank you. Thank you. All right, moving on. Moving on. The third bonus point, I got two more and then I'm out. This loving other people stuff, this is not divorced from your relationship with God at all. Right? Because some people take on this, this notion of it's just me and Jesus. And I'm closest to God when I'm in the woods. I don't need the church. Some people even say, hey, I got no problem with God. What I got a problem with is God's people. Well, listen to me. You can't really say that. That's not the will of God for you to say that. Because Jesus says, I think it's Matthew chapter 22, the greatest commandment is this. You love the Lord and you love other people. It's just the way it works. So you can't say, I'm so close to God and it's awesome. Oh, but uh, uh, I don't really deal with the people. It's not how it works. This is part of it. And I'll say this. There are a lot of inputs that go into having a healthy life spiritually, a healthy walk with God. We're talking about prayer and reading the scriptures and using your gifts and giving and, and serving and all this stuff. Loving other people is one of them. 
I will say this for anyone to whom this may concern. If you're finding yourself stuck or stagnant or plateaued or maybe going this way in your faith, try this. I dare you and see what God does in your life. Step out, build someone up according to the will of God. See what God does in your life. I dare you. The fourth thing is this. This is part of your job. This is part of your job. See, a lot of times people think, oh, I don't know, that's the pastor's job. Good land. Let me just say, wearing that pair of shoes, if this is just the pastor's job, y'all are going to have a very underwhelming church experience, okay? Very. Oh, it's the elder's job. Well, yes, it is, but it's not just the elder's job. It's not just the It's your job yours. You have a role to play in this. It's not for the few. It's for all of us. Look at this verse here. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. See that first word? Owe. Love each other. You owe it to your brothers and sisters to do this. You are obligated in the sight of God to do this. It's part of your job. This is part of how you can be a part of advancing God's kingdom on the earth. Love the people in your church family. Simple, right?